Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. It's me, Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, sir. Uh, a couple quick announcements here. Uh, more than usual. You'll see why. Very, very cool Scared to Death uh, Tumblr in the store right now at badmagicmerch.com. It is awesome. Yeah, we had one sent to us. It's nice and heavy. Mm-hmm. It's solid. Uh, just super cool design. So pretty. Also got the books in. Uh, we will have those for sale in the store soon for those of you who didn't get the signed pre-ordered copies. And we are sending out the signed copies uh, right away. Slight delay. Don't have the tumbler here. Don't have the book here because COVID. COVID. I tested positive uh, for COVID last week. It knocked me out um, You know, pretty good for a week. Just felt like shit. Uh, I'm clear now. I feel 95% better. But guess um, what? But guess what? Now Lindsay has COVID. Hey! And Logan and Kate have COVID. The Keith is down with the COVID. Mm-hmm. And Lindsay's only here because, again, like, you know, I just had it. I feel obviously comfortable. I mean, we're in the same house quarantining together. And then Joe is the only other person in our office right now. And Joe also had COVID. And, and that being said, uh, Lindsay's also staying away from Joe. And we're in a separate room. Yeah. And I, I wore my trusty crystal mask. Mm-hmm. And we're Bleach wipes. All yeah. that stuff. We're doing all the things. I, I blame you for giving me COVID. Probably. Like, if you would stop sexually harassing me. <laughs> Cases are surging around here. So surging. all kinds of people are getting it right now uh, here in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. Like a huge, huge uptick. Like 68% or something. Yeah. So, yeah, so luckily, uh, none of us, you know, have been hospitalized and everything, um, even though we don't. Uh, have bring even though we didn't bring the things, feel a little foggy. We're just glad we're here and glad we're uh, not missing shows. Yeah, yeah, and we're so mm-hmm. yeah. We're thank you for all of your well wishes yeah. and your support, and we know that you would understand if we couldn't get to this episode. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We're we are. Fucking professionals, Dan. Fucking professionals. And also, we're not in the hospital. I, we have very mild, <laughs> yeah, no, very yeah. mild cases. Yeah, no, we're very, we're very fortunate. We yeah. know that a lot of other people uh, have gotten it much worse, yeah. and unfortunately, you know, uh, more people are dying now, and so we feel very lucky to, you know, have it, but be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get spoopy. So let's get spoopy. Uh, Lindsay, oh, and and, uh, and we will get the bonus episode for the Annabelles and Roberts. That's already prepped. Just yes. got to record it. Yeah. Uh, you have two stories today, right? I do have two. I was reviewing my stories right during the opening. I was like, oh, yeah, super juicy. Okay, okay. So you're excited Especially about them? the second one, Aliens. Oh, my God. I, I didn't talk to you before. I also have an alien story for dang you it. today. But we, it, Dang it. We're supposed it, to... We're supposed Not to talk. have that happen. Well, you know what? With COVID. COVID. Uh, for the for the first story, <laughs> actually, and who cares? There's two two alien stories in one fine. show. It's, it's fine. Really fine. No one cares. Uh, for the first story, I have we're going to head to uh, Italy, just outside of Venice, and visit uh, Povelia Island. Did you buy me a house there? Because you could buy a house for like five bucks in Italy right now. You can't buy a house on this island. Dang it. Uh, no one is living on this island. I thought it was like surprise, happy early birthday <laughs> present. Uh, it's it's home of 
uh, at one time, uh, home of tens of thousands of dying bubonic plague patients Ugh. and corpses, home to a barbaric asylum at another time, supposedly home to a lot of spirits. Now, uh, basically, you're not even supposed to go on the island right now. Okay. Uh, then we're going to head to China for the first time and talk about the Mengjagoa. Meng Jagoa uh, incident, a man who became famous or infamous for claiming to be China's first alien abductee. Yee. So very interesting tale. Okay. Quite a bit of setup for this first story uh, and spooky setup, okay. which I like. Okay. Well, you know, then I don't want to like have big interruptions. So can I talk about my socks really quick? You can. I'm so tired and I want to touch as little as possible. Mm-hmm. So I don't have on fuzzy socks. Yeah. But I just want everyone to know I am rocking slouch socks. So any okay. kids from the like 80s, 90s, you know how cool I am right now. <laughs> and also this awesome t-shirt that's been hanging in my closet that I kept forgetting to wear. I cannot remember the awesome fan who sent me this. It says, go smudge yourself. That's pretty funny. That's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a comforting thought, especially when sickness and illness is on so many of our minds, especially us right now, uh, that healthcare these days is humane and attentive, quite literally the best healthcare has ever been in the history of Earth. The horrors of barbaric past medical treatments, plague doctors, prison-like asylums seems distant to us now. We've never lived through anything like that. We don't know anyone who has. But even if these uh, practices are not familiar to us, some think the old pain uh, others felt still lingers. That there are places that can't forget the past, final agonies of the diseased and the dying, places marked by the dark energy of things one would more commonly associate now with a sadistic serial killer than a doctor. Many seem to believe that Povelia Island is one of these cursed places. In the South Lagoon between Venice and Lido sits the very small Italian island of Povelia. In 421 CE, Povelia welcomed its first inhabitants, men, women, and children fleeing invaders ravaging the mainland. Its relatively small size, it's only 18 acres in total, made the island easily defendable and not worth the trouble of invading armies. For centuries, the small community lived in peace until the population dwindled around the 14th century and the island was once again abandoned. From then on, Pavelia Island would be home only to mass misery and suffering. In 1348, the bubonic plague arrived in Venice, the Black Death. Venice was particularly susceptible to the spread because it was a trading city. Boats docked in its port every night, coming from all corners of the world, bringing luxurious goods, but also bringing a new, invisible, and highly lethal disease the conquering Mongols had just brought to Europe. In response to this new horror, Venice created the first modern quarantine system. Story feels very timely right now. It really does. The Republic detained ships and travelers suspected of carrying the plague for a period of 40 days. The word quarantine itself comes from the Italian word quarenta uh, for 40. And Venice made use of the abandoned Pavelia Island, creating a quarantine community there. Being sent to Pavelia Island now was a death sentence. Barges from Venice hauled the dead and the dying to the island, while smaller ships brought exiles from the city who showed even the mildest symptoms of the plague for them to also die there. Oh, man. Many of these people had not actually been infected with the plague at all and were literally dragged to Pavelia and dumped atop piles of rotting corpses. Ugh. At the island center, the dead and those too sick to protest were burned on giant pyres. Some burned alive. Ugh. The bodies that weren't burned were thrown into mass graves, also sometimes still, still alive, called plague pits. Historians estimate that the tiny island hosted over 160,000 infected souls from various outbreaks. Dang. Living out their final days and hours there. Outbreaks that occurred all the way up until 1930. It looked like hell, wrote the 16th century chronicler Rocco Benedetti. Uh, Benedetti. 
The sick lay three or four in a bed. Workers collected the dead and threw them in the graves all day without a break. Often the dying ones and the ones too sick to move or talk were taken for dead and thrown on the piled corpses. To this day, so many died, the actual soil of Pavalia Island is composed of a significant percentage of human ash. Some scientists have found the soil in places to be made up of 50% or more human ash. Blah. Allegedly, human bones continue to wash up on its shores seemingly from nowhere. After all the bouts of the plague were finally over, the island was abandoned until Napoleon's military campaign relied on ghostly legends and used Pavalia to protect stores of gunpowder and weapons, knowing few would be brave enough to search for them on the supposedly haunted island. After Napoleon's wars were over, a new terrible chapter would be written for Pavalia Island. The government of Venice found yet another gruesome use for the little piece of land as a terrible and torturous mental asylum. The asylum was used as a place of exile rather than rehabilitation, and one must wonder if the patients were mentally ill themselves or only a little bit off when they first arrived on the island and then became more and more insane as they were tortured by barbaric doctors and the hundreds of thousands of souls who had died on the same island before them. The island set apart from the rest of society was virtually ungoverned, left to the whims of the people in charge of the asylum who could be just as sick as their patients but maybe better at hiding it from polite society. In the 1930s, a doctor is rumored to have performed strange experiments on these patients. He performed lobotomies with hammers, chisels, drills, anything he could find with zero anesthesia or no concern for sanitation. He supposedly saved his darkest experiments for special patients whom he took to the hospital's bell tower when he inserted some crude instrument into their brains or cut them open in some new way. He would clang the bell tower to drown out the sound of the patient's screams. Some say, at night, you can still hear this bell ring. After years of this, the doctor threw himself or was thrown off the bell tower by someone or something else. According to local lore, a nurse walking over to catch the boat to take her back to the mainland after a long shift heard the doctor's piercing cries as he fell and then the thump of his body hitting the hard ground. She turned to see the doctor, who was miraculously not dead from the fall, and almost ran to him, but then she stopped when she watched him twitch on the pavement and she saw a faint mist that always surrounded the island seemed to grow darker and thicker in front of him. The mist twisted, she said, as the nurse watched in an, on in horror. It moved down into the doctor's throat, suffocating him. His eyes bulged out, the muscles of his neck strained, and the thick mist obscured him entirely. Good. When it lifted moments later, the doctor was dead, and the young nurse ran to the boat that took her back to the mainland, and she never returned to Pavalia Island. Strange occurrences only continued after the facility was converted into a geriatric center in 1968 before being shut down permanently in 1975. Years after the island's last facility was closed, a family decided to purchase the island intending to build a private holiday home there. What? They arrived and got settled in on the first day, excited to begin a new adventure, but showed up back on the mainland only a few hours later. The people near the Venice docks that day saw the water taxi dock and the family shuffle off the boat, their eyes wild, hair whipping around their faces. The parents seemed like they were hiding something between them, careful not to separate as they clutched something near their knees. They got into a taxi and it sped off. Just a few minutes later, the local hospital would see what the family had tried to conceal. A doctor walked into the emergency room to see the two frightened parents clutching their young daughter who was barely conscious. On one side of her face, the girl's skin had been almost entirely ripped off. Ah. The family wouldn't say what happened there. They moved away from Venice only a few days later, and the girl received medical treatment. After the girl received medical treatment. Today, 
The uh, entire island is abandoned. Locals and tourists are prohibited from visiting. Fishermen steer clear of it. In recent years, Italian construction crews attempted to restore the former hospital building, but abruptly stopped and left without explanation. But that didn't stop five backpackers who traveled to Italy from Colorado from exploring the abandoned island. Oh, boy. Time now for a tale called What Did He Do to Us? Kenny, Isaac, Wade, Sarah, and Will were all excited to spend the night on Pavilion Island, which they'd heard was going to be the location for the filming of a new horror movie in the upcoming year. They thought of it as an exciting night of ghost hunting. They reached the island through a water taxi, decided to explore its ruins a bit before settling down, setting up some tents, and camping for the night. They wandered through the murky corridors full of peeling paint, rooms with molding, abandoned furniture, torn, discarded books, rusty medical equipment, all covered in an ever-present film of dust and grime. They had fun wandering through the fields of grapevines, through the grapes, though the grapes themselves didn't taste that good. There was something sooty about them, bitter and acidic. The group figured that the grapes for eating were probably different from the grapes for, more, for winemaking. Kenny had fun taking pictures of them all on his camera, and the days before digital cameras were a part of every phone, they looked forward to developing these photos back in the U.S. They drank some beers, had a cold dinner they'd packed, generally enjoyed themselves. After the sun went down, they went to sleep. Kenny, Will, and Wade in one tent, Sarah and Isaac, who were dating in another. Sarah, exhausted from taking a, on a lot of the coordinating duties during the trip, fell asleep quickly. Sometime later, she opened her eyes and saw something she would never forget. There was something in the tent with her. A man. A doctor. His wide, crazed eyes filled with malice. Then he moved somewhere right behind her. She tried to turn to follow him, but she couldn't. She was tied down. She couldn't move. She could see the dark layout of the tent and cast her eyes around for the unseen presence. Then she heard it. Coming from right above her left ear, a sound like a drill. At first it was faint, but then it sounded like it was coming closer, getting closer and closer to her head. She tried screaming for Isaac to help, but couldn't make a sound. And all the while, the sound kept buzzing, louder and louder, until it was the only thing she could hear, this drill. She felt a pressure on her temple, and then she could have sworn that the drilling sound was now coming from inside her head. She felt warm liquid running down onto her neck. Blood? Her blood? Her eyes rolled back in her head and she could feel the doctor administering this stop as though to take a note. She thrashed around in pain, fire radiating through her skull, and then suddenly the doctor and the drill were gone and she could move freely. She felt the side of her head and it was sticky, but with sweat, not blood. Then she noticed she wasn't in the tent. She was standing up outside. How did she get out there? Had she been sleepwalking? She felt so confused. Isaac! She shouted, Isaac! Nothing. Isaac, where are you? She stumbled into a field that she recognized and saw the other tent. It was still. Were they all asleep? How had they not heard her? Where was Isaac? If this had been a dream, she probably should have been screaming in her sleep, not to mention stumbling through the bushes. But it hadn't felt like a dream. The side of her head still hurt. Isaac! She shouted again. Then from behind her, she heard Isaac say in a panicked voice, Why did you do that? Her eyes still focusing in the dark, Sarah spun around and saw Isaac standing in the bushes behind her. His hands were on his forehead. He was looking at her with wide, frightened eyes. From beneath his hand, Sarah saw a stream of blood, <gasps> not sweat, running down his jaw. Why did I do what? She asked. Throw that bottle. Cut me, he said. He pointed to a bottle that had smashed on the ground, far away from a neat pile they'd put their beer bottles in before going to bed. Are you drunk? 
he demanded. What's what's wrong? What happened? I didn't throw that, she said. I swear. Do you think there's someone else out there? Someone messing with us? They both knew they hadn't seen any other signs of habitation. No sleeping bags or blankets or food wrappers. The island was abandoned. It was only them. Still, they felt like someone else was there, like they were being watched or followed. Should we wake up the others, Sarah asked. They agreed that they didn't want to be rude, but they were worried. Neither had any memory of leaving their tent. As a compromise, they decided to sit outside the three guys' tent for the rest of the night, knowing they wouldn't get any more sleep themselves. They found the tent, peeked inside to make sure their friends were there, saw three huddled forms beneath the blankets. Satisfied, they took their seats outside the tent and waited. Stupid. Only an hour or so later, they heard a sharp sound. Hello? It was Kenny's voice. And it wasn't coming from inside the tent. It was coming from a cluster of trees. Oh, boy. Hello? Someone help. Where am I? Then they heard Wade shout from even further away. Hello? Guys, hello? Then they saw Will stumbling back to camp as well, holding his head. Was he bleeding too? Sarah and Isaac exchanged glances. If Kenny, Wade, and Will weren't in the tent, what the fuck were those three huddled lumps? Sarah and Isaac then heard strange whispering come from inside the tent. It sounded terrible and human. <sighs> scared the living shit out of them and they both started screaming. They all ran towards the other members of the group who were still trying to get their bearings. A sailboat in the air overheard their cries and called the Italian authorities who came quickly to their rescue and also promptly fined all of them for trespassing. Group 5 didn't care about the fines. They just wanted to get off the island to get away from whatever had been in that tent. They managed to make it back to Colorado. Safe, but still very shaken. They knew they'd do something or they knew they'd never do something like that again. And it'd take a while for any of them to get comfortable even with normal camping. Still, as they went back to their day jobs, it was hard to believe that something like that had happened on the island. Maybe they'd been dehydrated or sick. What were the odds that all five of them had sleepwalked that same night? None of them had ever, to their knowledge, ever sleepwalked before. And what had they heard in that tent? A few months later, Sarah and Isaac were having dinner, celebrating their second anniversary when Sarah got an email. Attached were the developed pictures from that trip to Italy. Oh, yeah. Excited to reminisce a little, the couple opened the email's attachments and scrolled through shots of the group eating delicious Italian meals in various villages, tourist spots. There were pictures of historical monuments. And then, of course, there were pictures of them on Pavalia Island. Right away, Sarah got the chills and exchanged concerned glances with Isaac. The pictures taken on the island all had orbs in them. Something about the focus was never quite right. Their faces were blurred, maybe even a little distorted. There were too many shadows in each shot. Then they opened the second-to-last attachment. It was a picture of the five of them, eyes closed, slumped in the middle of the field, their bodies laying in a circle as if a ritual was about to take place. Fuck. Isaac let out an audible gasp when he saw it. Who or what had taken that picture? And what had they been planning on doing with the group? And then there was one final attachment. Isaac hovered his cursor over it. Sarah put her hand over his. Don't open it, she said. Why not? asked Isaac. Just don't open it, she said. Sarah, you're freaking me out. Isaac shot back. He didn't like the way Sarah was looking at him. She looked really scared. Was she remembering something he'd forgotten? He clicked. The picture was of the five of them now standing. A man with his back to the camera stood in the center of the circle they formed. A dark mist seemed to emanate from his head. Tendrils shot out from him and connected to all of their open mouths. What the fuck is that? yelled Isaac. Then he and Sarah both heard the faint sound of a drill. (gasps) 
And as the sound grew louder, neither of them found that they could move. Well, then what happened? That's the end of the story. No. Yep. No. It's a mystery. No. Something horrible probably I'm happened. I fucking like that ending. <laughs> Too bad. That's it? That's, Just... the, that's the end of that story. Ah, I'm outraged. I don't... <laughs> Just like... And then nothing? Yeah. Nothing. No one found their bodies. We don't know if they're okay. We can we can just assume the worst, I guess. Well, sweet baby Jay, I don't like that. Want to see some pictures? Not particularly, but when do I ever? This this I mean these pictures are pretty cool. I mean this place is very interesting. Oh, I thought <laughs> I thought they were giving pictures. Of oh, I wish I wish the with that story came the actual like pictures that supposedly were taken, but no. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. A uh, Pavalia Island. This is an aerial shot. I mean, it is super Dang, cool. Dang, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm, that that's little... not what I was picturing at all. Right, right. I mean, it's all like, you know, the ruins are kind of like overgrown with lush vegetation. It's so small, but I mean, it really is beautiful. And I and I couldn't tell. Some articles said one thing, some articles said another, but I think someone else just recently bought it. Why? Why would you fucking buy that? Uh, if you don't believe in hauntings and that kind of stuff, it's gorgeous. Uh, even if you don't believe in hauntings, it just has such I, a... I know, the history is pretty crazy. Yeah, so it's like, even if you think that none of that is real, I just... Right. I wouldn't, that, Lo- location, though, is phenomenal. Like, you're just sure. right outside Venice. Sure, On your own still, island. I don't know. Okay, someone really rich with nothing else better to do. I'd want to camp on this and see what happened. Peace. Uh, uh, this, have fun. Take take our son, who doesn't think any of this shit is real. Oh my god, Kyler would lose his fucking mind on that island. You would ruin him. I would. Ru- uh, this uh, this next one is plague victims remains. Oh, just god. so many bones. Old picture. It's not creepy. It's just upsetting. Uh, yeah. And there was a bunch of pi- similar pictures. Uh, this next picture is an asylum room. Uh, you know, like the the ruins still there. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I guess right. it was made. Uh, and then just more ruins in this next photo. They're always, asylum ruins are always so creepy to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, God because, dang. Because asylums are so fucking creepy. Yeah. And they're just full of torment and pain. Oh, man. And there's, there's nothing good that comes out of that. I mean, yeah, the history of this place is pretty insane, pretty dark. And then, and then the one more photo of the, of just a, just a creepy shot of the ruins of the asylum. I, I find that to be the least creepy photo. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, in a mean, way, I find that to actually be really pretty. Yeah, like, just the way the light composition. Is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. And so that that yeah, so that's all the uh, the photos for that one. And, and yeah, yeah. And for new listeners, um, we put the photos up on our socials, so Facebook and Instagram. Scared of that podcast? You can find these photos. Correct. And then so if you're not watching on YouTube. And boob tube. Um, okay, so they said that a movie was supposed to be filmed there. Do we know if a movie uh, was ever actually filmed there? Don't know. Don't know. That would be a reason to buy it. If you're a studio head exec and you've got that kind of money, that would make for oh, a yeah. great horror movie set. I, I don't know about the horror movie, but I do remember that like the, it just, I just said Italian businessman and it had some name, but it didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. And I remember thinking that the price was not as high as I expected. It was less than a million euros, which hmm. I thought was kind of shocking actually. Who actually owns Island? Is it still that? Prior to it being bought, this most recent time was it still that family? I don't know. That I didn't. I didn't uh, dig in that far, and it would probably honestly have to be a lot of like Google Translate and yeah. being Italian. I mean, it's not like a story that's really known over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking that generally speaking, those things are owned by like the state. Yeah, exactly, and they are. But I think you know, Italy, kind of like what you alluded to earlier on, has had so many economic problems. They have to sell all kinds of stuff just to try and raise some money. That's so crazy to think about that. Yeah, their economy is not. Um, What's shit is what not, it is. Not been good. Yeah. Yeah. You could say it's in the pooper. 
It's too bad because it's a beautiful country. I've, I had, I was in Italy. Was I for like one hot second? Yeah. When I was, I want to go back. I will go with you when the world I mean, opens as, again. As, as a history buff, I mean, oh, har- is that what you call yourself? One of I am in addition to other things, also a history buff. You know that I love history. I know. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> I just like to see your reactions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just uh, so much as far as Western civilization. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's c- kind of unbeatable, actually. Okay. Well, now we have your opinion about Italy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, cradle of Rome. Um, okay. So this uh, this next story. Uh, You're such a weirdo. <laughs> Maybe happy to know has no ghosts in it. No, but it has aliens and. I already know that my alien story is crazy. Doing a little double feature aliens today. Yeek. I like it. Well, I do. I mean, aliens are on my list. You know what I mean? I know. We haven't had black eyed children in a while. Those True. really, really kill me. Aliens. Mm-hmm. Those are two of the worst. You ready for me to tell this alien story? Sure, Dan. Give it to me. All right. Now time for a quick little in-between story sponsor break. Uh, please give our sponsors a listen. You never know what great deal you'll be missing out on if you don't hear it. Uh, save some money. Thank you for listening, Creeps and Peepers, Roberts and Annabelles. Uh, hope that was something that interested you. It was probably something really good. Now, uh, no setup on this uh, next story. Okay. Get right into it. Time now for the tale of Meng Zhigoa. Uh, Meng Zhigoa stopped in his tracks. A few feet before him hovered a brilliant white light, looked like an orb. He'd never seen anything like it before in his home, the Red Flag Logging Commune, which lay deep within the remains of a forest in China's far northeast, an area known as Manchuria. On the commune, Meng lived in a two-room timber frame house he had built with his own hands. Bare yellow light bulbs dropped from the ceiling, an empty crate of five-star beer sat outside the front door. It wasn't much, but it was his home, and he had a job cutting down the trees. That fateful night in 1994, when he stepped out of his house and looked at the Dragon Mountains, veiled in a purple mist, he saw a strange glimmer flit around the mountain's peaks, and then the glimmer disappeared. He wondered if a helicopter had crashed, if there were survivors that might need help, and even if not, there would be wreckage, and he could scavenge some of the metal and possibly sell it. He put on his boots, made his way to the valley where he saw long, jagged strips of metal. He first thought it was the wreckage of a crash. Then he saw a strange light hovering. It grew slightly brighter as he watched it, as though it were responding to his presence. And then he felt a hard push. Something slammed into the back of his head, and he blacked out. When Meng awoke, he was back home in his bed with no memory of how he'd gotten there. He resolved to put the strange incident out of his mind. Maybe something else wanted the scrap metal, someone, and was willing to knock him out for it. Maybe they'd brought him back to his house. He'd stumbled back into bed. It could have happened like that, he reasoned. Odd, very unlikely, but how else could he explain what had happened to him? Whoever knocked him out, there was no chance he could identify them. He never saw anyone, so he felt it was best just to not pursue the matter further. He tried to get back to his normal routine of farming and housework. Then a few nights later, the glow returned. Meng was in bed when he started to notice that his bedroom was glowing. No, he was glowing, like there was something trapped beneath his skin. He felt himself pulled from his bed where his wife lay sleeping below him and then hover in the air. Then she appeared. Meng claims a 10-foot-tall, six-fingered alien woman with thighs coated in braided hair straddled his waist. What? very strange. He was afraid for his life until he felt her wiggle against him. As crazy as this encounter uh, claim already is, gets crazier. He claims this alien female mated with him and then disappeared through a window. When Meng looked down at his body, the glow was gone, but he could see a two-inch long jagged wound on his inner thigh. 
After the encounter, he was left confused, unable to communicate with other people. He also strangely developed an intense fear of anything made of iron. He tried to get on with his life, to get back to normal. Not an easy feat, he soon found out when he realized many of the tools he used to farm and cut down trees were made of iron. Then he claims he had yet another encounter. About a month later, Mangle woke again to find his body levitating. This time, he passed through the ceiling, through the stratosphere, into a spaceship, landed on a hard floor, and shielded his eyes. Everything was so bright. Even with his eyes closed, he could hear excited chattering in a language he couldn't understand. He felt bodies circling around him. He asked if he could see the female alien that had had sex with him weeks before. Impossible, one of them said, in a language that sounded like heavily accented Chinese, though Meng couldn't place the geographic origins of the dialect. Wasn't like anything he'd ever heard before. In 60 years, one of the creatures said, on a distant planet, the son of a Chinese peasant will be born. Did this mean his son? Meng raced to follow what they were saying, but the presence and the glow they emanated made it hard to think. They told him they were refugees from a destroyed planet. They were looking for a new place to live. After a couple of confusing exchanges, they dropped Meng back into his bedroom. Now he was more afraid than ever. Were they telling him they intended to settle here on Earth? It had been two months since the first incident. How long would they continue to monitor him? <coughs> After consulting with his wife, they decided to alert the media. As news of Meng's abduction spread, journalists made the long journey to the logging commune to ask him questions. He could tell the journalists were trying to poke holes in his story, that they didn't believe him, but he knew what he saw. He had the mark on his inner thigh and remembered what he'd heard, what he'd seen, what he'd felt. Then his story took off and spread even further. Might be surprising to hear that the People's Republic of China, which is heavily authoritarian, doesn't repress stories about alien abduction. What? It's true that the Socialist Government of China monitors faith in anything but the Communist Party, but an expression of belief in extraterrestrials is considered acceptable. Weird. It falls under the purview of astronomy, which is culturally important to the Chinese, and alien life supports the scientific socialism that the party advances. Okay. A popular Chinese ufology journal has a circulation of 400,000 readers, and the UFO accusations across China currently, or associations, excuse me, across China, currently boast a collective uh, 50,000 members. So other associations, actually, not just mm -hmm. readers. Mm -hmm. The president of the Beijing branch is a retired foreign ministry official who, after claiming to see a UFO himself, strongly believes that aliens not only are seen, but live amongst us. Uh, no thanks. After a few months, a university professor contacted Meng, asked him if he wanted to work in a city as opposed to on the commune. Meng accepted. At the University of Commerce in Harbin, Meng was put in charge of monitoring the boiler and pipes. In Harbin, Meng could live in a modern-style apartment with heat, campus jobs for his wife and daughter, and an English-speaking middle school for his son. Things were better, certainly, than they had been on the commune. But what about the aliens? What about the son the aliens promised would be born? Late at night, Meng turned over these questions in his mind again and again and again. He became obsessed. In September 2003, Meng was given a medical exam and a lie detector test, placed under hypnosis in an attempt to reveal the authenticity of his claims. Zhang Jingping, who organized the testing, said that Meng's results indicated that he told the truth. Zhang also stated that after a doctor checked Meng's scar, they concluded that the scar could not possibly have been caused by a common injury or a surgery. Hmm. Meng was the first Chinese citizen to go public with a story about extraterrestrials. But now, as the years have progressed, more and more people have come forward. In 1998, four military radar stations in uh, Ubei province reported that the presence of an unidentified blip hovering above a military flight training school in Changzhou. 
Once authorities determined that the intruder was not a military or civilian flight, Colonel Lee, the base commander, ordered a fighter jet to take off and intercept the UFO. Over 140 people on the ground confirmed that they saw this UFO, a strange flying object in the sky. They all described a mushroom or jellyfish-like dome with a bottom covered with bright dangling lights. Were these the same lights that Meng saw? Could his insane-sounding story actually be true? Even crazier, in 2015, thousands of people from two separate locations on October 15th saw a huge alien floating city in the skies above China. What? Some of the onlookers took videos of the floating city appearing amongst the clouds, posted them on YouTube. Did Meng watch these videos, wondering if the aliens were back at last, settling permanently like they implied they might? Did he look for a particular alien woman among the buildings in the sky? Will he ever see her again or his alien son? I am so taken aback by the fact that this is acceptable in China. Right, I was surprised. Like, I like am so hung up on that in my yeah. mind. I mean, once you you know said about astrology and whatnot, that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know why the stereotype in my mind was that like uh, you know strident communists were, would not be interested in entertaining tales of aliens. I can't imagine why I, you I think thought he, that. I thought he would get in trouble. Yeah, I thought they would. The authorities would come and get him in. Like you're making us look bad. You're making yeah. us look crazy. Uh-uh. We gotta shut uh-uh. this guy down. No, they're like nope. more. Please, more. Tell nope. us more about it. So let's authenticate authenticate it. Yeah, let's give him a good can. job. Let's reward him for reporting. <laughs> right, it. right. What? I'm so confused. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. Well, not that I want to dig into alien stuff, but I feel like if you want to know more about aliens and the possibility of aliens, yeah, this is it. Dig into China. This this feels like a fucking gateway. I know, and there is always the concerns in the West about uh, the Propaganda. accuracy of right of Chinese reports. But I mean... But why would they lie about aliens of I know, all the things? I know. It doesn't... Exactly. It, it, it doesn't feel like that would um, further any kind of military, you know, interests or, yeah. I don't know, uh, communist interests. It doesn't make sense to me. No. Un- unless you find out that there's like some secret network within all the governments fighting off aliens. And, well, that's what some conspiracy people think. I mean, really? that's... Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not whole, as well versed. Oh I, yeah, I know too much about it. There's a whole like um, you like my personal encyclopedia. You know that <laughs> this, this is great. Tell me more. This lore that's out there. Well, it's like I think almost all of it is completely insane. Sure, but the like the the belief in like the Illuminati and the New World Order and the shadow government and this kind of evil cabal is often tied to extraterrestrials. Where this kind of well, it's like the lizard Illuminati people who believe that these yeah. you know lizard people are aliens and they're running a shadow government behind every I'm a government. lizard. I'm a lizard. It might be. I gotta pay attention to how you blink. Yeah. If you blink like this and not like this, it's dodgy. that means you're a lizard person. And I'll, I'll blink over here. Okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> now I don't know why this should matter. Uh, like um, how this guy looks. I guess it shouldn't. It shouldn't. But, but he looks stable to me. Okay. Before I look he at just the picture. Yeah. I expected him to seem crazy. Well, right. Because I think that there's a certain stereotype with various different things it's like if if i was telling you a story about uh, some famed basketball player you would think of a very tall man like right. there are just certain things that come with and, and if i'm telling like a story about a person who claims that they had sex with an alien and like and had braided hair in its eyes i expect to see a picture or you know of like somebody who's like real fucking twitchy and like bug-eyed and just like he like just, kramer <laughs> like yeah kind of like a, like a like a dirty kramer i so, mean he looks so respectable he looks like a very upstanding but, man but did the government do that did they dress him up i don't know this don't is know. The, this next picture is of him taking this lie detector test they documented that he, he i mean just yeah he's like just a regular like a dude totally normal dude uh and then this is the alien he claims he saw this is when they sketched the picture this is what he thinks he saw okay. had sex with him okay no, that's that's a, from Predator or something, isn't it? <laughs> that's from the Alien movie franchise. Yeah. It's from Alien Covenant. 
which I've never seen any of those movies. <laughs> I as you think can why. hilarious if he if this is like who he thought he had sex with, <laughs> which is this fucking terrifying monster. Yeah, strange story, strange, strange story. But I just thought like uh, nice for variety here. Yeah, yeah, not not so much spooky in, in right. a traditional sense, but. I am so, my mind is just going a mile a minute about China and aliens. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of questions that I will not be Googling. And I just think it's interesting, too, where it's like we get, especially here in America, I will say more than most countries, we get very American-centric. When we're talking, thinking about stories, we're thinking about, you know, whatever it is, aliens, we tend to just look inside our own borders in so many different ways. Normal for us, not normal for a lot of other countries. A lot of other countries, uh, citizens have their eyes on the world around them. Sure. It's like America, we can get very uh, tunnel vision. Yes. And so Mm -hmm. this is just like a nice uh, reminder that like, oh, yeah, there's so many other countries out there that all have their own tales, which just adds to the whole totality of making this stuff possibly believable. That was a really great PSA. I didn't. I felt, I felt a little lectured. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, well, I guess I got worked up there. Well, but. Yeah. All right. Because I mean, we were in Italy. We were in China. Mm-hmm. It's not like we only do American stories here. That's true. <laughs> but no. But I just mean like uh, in general, like American, just kind of thought I know, patterns. I know. It's just pretty funny. You kill me. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for um, two totally spoopy stories? I am. Okay. Are you excited to hear it in my like sexy nasally porn voice? Sure. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Um, So for our first tale of terror, we have like a really juicy story from a listener who'd like to remain anonymous. Totally fine. Um, I think for me, the story really brought up this question for me of how much control do we really have over what we see or what we don't see? And do we have control over what we let into our brains or not? This Mm. this story is... um, I find it to be very, very interesting. And the author of the story entitled it Lock the Door. Okay. Okay. Get ready. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, I just discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and have already binge listened to every episode while at work. Hearing some of your tales today, I was reminded of a true story of my own that took place when I was 16 and I thought I would share it. When I was 12, my family moved from Kansas City, Kansas to Frisco, Texas. My family of four bounced around from rental homes to apartments and back again several times before we settled into our current home, where we have lived for the past nine and a half years. It's not an old home by any means, and nothing human has died in the house according to the previous owners. Their two dogs, however, have passed away due to old age while they lived here. We found this out when we toured the home before buying it and discovered a small shrine in a narrow hallway that led to the front door. It was a small rectangular table with two urns and several photos and candles lit on top. It was odd but endearing and I actually found it to be quite sweet. Anyway, the house inhabitants that live here at the time of my story when it takes place were my mom, my dad, my 16-year-old self, and my 14-year-old sister. When we moved in, I ended up stuck in the smallest bedroom in the house. Despite it being summertime, the room was very dim and quite cold. I always felt uneasy there. After a few months, however, I forgot about the uneasy feeling and settled in for the long haul. We had lived here for maybe two years with a few small odd occurrences here and there, but nothing major. Hearing footsteps climb the stairs, but upon immediate investigation finding my entire family sound asleep, or hearing cabinets open and close in the downstairs kitchen when no one was there. Small things like that. 
I was worried more about a possible intruder than an actual ghost. In fact, I was so convinced that someone extra was residing in our home that I began to bring a kitchen knife from downstairs to keep with me in my desk drawer, just in case. Fast forward two years, and 16-year-old me had stayed up late playing video games and Skyping with a friend. I had eventually gone to sleep around 2 a.m. and had the strangest nightmare that one one that would later be reoccurring and become more and more terrifying with each night that passed. In my dream, I sat up in bed to find my cat sitting in the open doorway of my bedroom. I called to him and patted the bed, but he did not come to me. I called him again, but he still would not move a muscle. He just looked at me, hair raised, and staring intensely into the darkness of my room. I crawled out of bed and walked over to pick him up, and and he remained stiff as a board as I did so. I then turned around and stood frozen. In the dim blue light of the nightlight in the hall, I could see myself asleep in my bed still. To the left of my body was a tall, smoky, dark figure which faced me while I slept. The figure's outline seemed to shift continuously, leading me to believe that it was mist in the shape of a man rather than a solid body. What terrified me even more was its long, spindly arms, which extended towards my face as I slept. I opened my mouth to scream, but only a high-pitched whisper of noise left my mouth, nothing that my family would have been able to hear even when sleeping only a dozen feet away. I felt my cat growling in my hands, but I couldn't turn away from the black shadow of a person. I woke up in a cold sweat and immediately burst into tears. This dream was one of many reoccurring dreams that would happen every night for the next few weeks. That next morning, I went and hunted down my cat and carried him to my room in the way that I always did. I would allow my cat to be in my room during the day, but would usually lock him out at night since he tends to knock things over and make a mess. But to my absolute horror, he began to kick and scratch and bite my arms when I reached my doorway. Usually the cats in my house were ecstatic to be allowed into my bedroom, especially after a night of being locked out. But now he acted horrified, and it was completely out of character for my sweet baby to try and break skin and attempt to get away. I dropped him and he ran off. I felt very uneasy and avoided my bedroom the rest of the day. Later that evening, I grabbed our orange tabby cat and began carrying him back to my room. This cat wasn't mine. He was my mom's cat, but he also loved being in my room just the same. When I approached my doorway, again this cat began flailing in my arms. I was shocked. This was two animals now that were suddenly terrified to be in my room. His hair stood on end and he was growling and meowing to be put down. I stepped into my room, like a total Darren, and put him (laughs) down on the floor. I wanted to know if the behavior would stop if I gave him a moment in the room with me. It did take 20 minutes, but eventually he calmed down enough for me to sit him on my bed. I decided to use my cats as an alarm system of sorts. I figured that if something came back into my room, the cats would surely let me know. Seeing him on edge but otherwise calm did make me feel a little bit better. I laid down in bed and opened Instagram, fully intending to let my mom's cat sleep with me tonight, despite the noise he would undoubtedly make. I'm not sure how much time went by, but it was definitely late when I glanced up to see my cat staring intently. Um, I'm not sure how much time went by, but it was definitely late when I glanced up to see him staring intently at the corner of my ceiling. His hair was raised, but he was quiet, observing something on the wall. The cat's eyes glowed, slowly trailing along the room where the wall met the ceiling. I immediately got goosebumps, and the air seemed to get thicker. 
I felt like I was breathing into a paper bag. No matter how deeply I inhaled, it was just never enough oxygen. His eyes continued to move up the wall until he was looking at the ceiling above my head, his eyes trailing downward until it looked as though he was staring right through me. He then hissed directly at me, flung himself off the bed and threw himself into my door, screaming and hissing and clawing for an escape. I leapt out of bed, let the cat run out and ran to my sister's room. I told her what had happened along with my parents. They all brushed it off as an overact of imagination, but couldn't explain the cat's agitation. I don't think that they wanted to answer. I don't think they wanted an answer, to be honest. The next week, I slept in my sister's room, but the recurring nightmares continued, as did the cat's fear of my bedroom. Every night I had that dream, the figure's long, almost crooked fingers would be just an inch closer to my face. I would wake up every night sweating and in tears. I had no idea what would happen once the thing finally did touch my face. I felt unsafe, and my pleads for help went unanswered by my parents. If I needed to retrieve something from my bedroom, I would always make sure my sister was with me, and I never let the cats in there. I was so afraid I would come back to find them mutilated or dead. My now fiancé listened to my panic back then and visited the house. He is usually very skeptical, very analytical, and will always look for the rational explanations for weird occurrences. He hardly ever acknowledges the paranormal, but by the end of that week, even he was telling me not to feed it and seemed genuinely concerned. It gave me goosebumps to hear my very logical significant other acknowledge that there may indeed be another presence in my home. Halfway through the week, I went back into my bedroom in my of my own, but during the day. I felt like I was going crazy and needed to know that whatever was going on wasn't just my imagination. So again, like a total Darren, <laughs> I decided to try and make contact. I placed a large I placed a large plastic cup on my bedroom floor and turned off my ceiling fan. Once the blades had stopped spinning, I sat down in front of the cup. If anyone is here, can you please move this cup? The words didn't even finish escaping my lips before the cup rolled several feet towards the wall, and I immediately felt nauseous with anxiety. One more time, I remember thinking to myself, if it rolls one more time, I'll know something is really here. Then I grabbed the plastic cup and placed it back in front of me again. I watched it for several minutes, and it did not move. There was no draft in my room, no air movement. The atmosphere felt heavy, stale. I asked again, if anyone is here, can you please move the cup? And this time, the cup went rolling in the opposite direction as before towards the door. I bolted out of there faster than I've ever run in my entire life and cried again to my sister. I wasn't going crazy. After sleeping terrified in her bedroom for an entire week, my sister told my parents she wanted her room back. She was tired of me taking up space on her floor and she wanted her privacy again. So they kicked me back into my bedroom, ignoring the cat's occasional hostility and my deteriorating mental state. That night, I went to visit my now fiance's family. His mother is a very spiritual person and took my situation quite seriously. I cried to her so relieved that I was finally being heard. She told me to imagine a small door on the roof of my head. She said that if I imagined closing and locking the door, it might help. Both her and her mother are clairvoyant and seem to know about things before they happen. So I trusted and did what she said. That night, when I drove home, I imagined locking the small door on the top of my head and swallowing the key. I never wanted to let whatever was following me back into my life ever again. I slept uneasy that night, but for the first time did not have the nightmare. 
The events unfolding had stopped on a dime, and with time, my cats even returned to normal and now loved coming in my room again. However, in the end, it left me questioning, did closing the door save me? Or did that thing get what it wanted and manage to attach itself to me when it touched my face? Sometimes I think it's the latter. My aunt passed away over a, a little over two years ago from breast cancer, and in my grief, in the moment, driving over to my fiancé's house, I had imagined unlocking that small door so that she may visit me. I spent the night at his house and again had those terrifying nightmares. I dreamt that I sat up in bed and watched my fiancé's lit closet door slowly swing open and touch the doorstop on the wall. The second the doorknob touched the wall, the light flicked off. I woke up in a panic only to find to my absolute horror that the closet door was wide open at the foot of our bed and the light was off. We never, ever leave the closet doors open. We close them and keep the light on to act as a nightlight so that the light creeps out from under the door. I shook my fiancé awake, and I told him what had happened. I thought I, I thought I had said, look over there, but he swears I looked him dead in the eyes and told him, she's here. He said he heard what? it very clearly, and to this day, it creeps us both out. Before I went back to sleep that night, I imagined slamming that little door closed and swallowing the key again and vowed never to open it again. I still have night terrors from time to time, but nothing will ever be as horrifying as those moments. Hope my story scares you as much as it still scares me. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to hearing more creepy stories from you both. Eek. What do you think? I don't know. That, that, that whole attachment stuff is is pretty crazy. I have a couple thoughts. Uh, one is, you know, the, the cats from, you know, more like the beginning of that story. Yeah. That stuff always, especially, I, I mean, I guess why it shouldn't matter, like multiple animals. So I guess like but whatever, but it's just a little creepier because there's two different yes. cats that yes. both react that way. So it's not like one cat all of a sudden just got like, I don't know, just weird or skittish right. in general. And that they only react that way towards that room. <sighs> it's, that's, that's, that's hard to rationalize away. Right. And, and then it may just it just made me think about, um, you know, I'm pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you can kind of like calm down. But if the dogs, because like we have our dogs sleep in our bed every night. Yep. And they are our little cuddle buddies. Yep. And, and a, a lot of times one of us will go to bed be- before the other person because the other person's working or whatever. Yeah. And I know, like I was even last night with you. Um, I was still up in the living room and mm-hmm. you went downstairs and you like, Penny didn't want to go with you at first. And you were like, Penny, come mm-hmm. on. Like I could tell you like you needed Penny to be down in the room with you. Yeah, I don't want to be alone. Right. And then I just thought like, how fucking terrifying that would be if our dogs who love our room. Love it. Like they love being in bed with us. Yeah, they take over the bed. They take it over. They, you know, like, um, yeah, they get super weird about in territorial, about different parts of the bed. <laughs> yeah. They sleep with their heads on the pillows like little human beings. They're ridiculous. Ridiculous. And if all of a sudden they just came to the threshold and growled and wouldn't go in, that would fucking freak me out big time. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> Training them for that. That would, scare the sh- that would scare the shit out of me because I, because I wouldn't know how to rationalize it right you couldn't process something and, like and that. especially and if it was like if it was one time mm-hmm. then i would think that like with our windows okay maybe there was like a deer or like a raccoon but they love to chase things so that wouldn't even be valid like if if the window yeah. was open and the dog saw some creature or whatever in the yeah. windows they would go towards it not away from it that's not the kind of dogs we well, that's have. true well i would try to rationalize it though as like maybe there's <laughs> A coyote. I don't know. Maybe there's something that could be. It could be out there. Sure. Something out there that is spooking them. But if it happened 
over and over for like weeks and they were totally fine with the rest of the house but they wouldn't come in our room and i felt weird and i was having nightmares that like all of that together yes uh that would really really disturb me and then the other thing the the cup when you were talking about that or yes that's what she was talking about the cup yeah the cup moving and stuff i wasn't going to tell you this but um yesterday when what (laughs) yesterday when i came here to the office it wasn't me but Joe, Joe was feeling the pr- like something weird around him. He's working what? here by himself. Yeah, hold on. And you know our stupid mannequin that has a little cup full of spoons, like the little bouquet? Yeah. Well, the way that that's held, like the spoons are down in it, and it's like uh, it's tilted upwards. Yeah. One of the spoons just kind of flung itself on the ground. Stop it. Not kidding. Joe saw it. And heard it and everything. And he was like, how the fuck could that come out of there? Because the spoons, the way that they're down in that bouquet, they would have to go like up and then back down to hit the ground. Like it doesn't make sense for them to come out. No one else was here with him. Okay. I will say, because I have moved that mannequin before, Mm. just the slightest jostling of the mannequin will cause a spoon to fall out. They're not not like um, super tight intact. You ruined that. But I was sitting at my desk. No, I didn't touch. Can... I didn't touch the mannequin. Has anybody bumped into the mannequin recently? No, it was just. I've just. It's just been me in this office for a week. Joe, I feel like you and Teresa have been doing some naughty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> did, did Joe, That's fair. Did, did you Joe, got me. Did Joe <laughs> Busted. Fu- did Joe fuck a spoon out of that mannequin? <laughs> 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 Oh my gosh. That I mean, was it. That was it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, all right. You, <laughs> you, got you got me. You got me. I wasn't gonna say that part. <laughs> no, uh, but that's uh that's just me like trying to justify it. And and Joe, I feel like Joe's probably more skeptical than the two of us. No, I you don't think not be cut not since his hello. Oh incident. yeah. Oh that, I forgot about the hello. Because how do you how do you rationalize that? Joe, do you ever think about hello? Uh, I just told that story to somebody yesterday. Oh man. Actually, because they were asking about it. Yeah, I, I think about it all the time. Yikes. I would too. Scares the shit out of me. But? Pepper still thinks about it too. Oh my Does god! She? Yeah. I don't know. Is she scared? Uh, a little bit. Like just with oh, a little, man. like we hear a sound, mm-hmm. and both of us kind of look at each other. Yeah, like it just kind of snaps back to that that Pepper. moment. Yeah. And, and Pepper is Joe's daughter, by the way. Oh yeah. And 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 Pepper is is she eight now? She's nine. Oh, she's nine. Yeah, she's she'll be ten. Yeah, she'll be ten next no month. No way. Crazy. I know. I know she's so tall for her age that then I want to like make her age smaller because I know she's. <laughs> Uh, unusually tall for her age. For I, know, yeah, I can't believe she's almost on ten. Five, five, yeah. Five, 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 five. Yeah. Fuck, she's man. Monster. She's gonna be what? taller than me in about two months. <laughs> it's it's insane. She's nine years old. She's, <laughs> she's so cute. She is. I'm really yeah. tall, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right, bye guys. Bye. bye. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I th- I don't know what I thought you were gonna say when you went to the cup thing, but. I want to discuss briefly what I think is weird in our house that you will not give any credence to that made me so fucking mad last night. So we have a, a light. I remember you being mad at me last night. I didn't tell you I was oh, mad. Oh, I do remember what you're going to talk about. Yes. It was a little bit high, so my <laughs> anger was subsided. <laughs> okay. So we have uh, in our kitchen, like we have, yeah. you know, like open concept living, of course. That's right. Like everybody does. Um, we have a light fixture that has five or six light bulbs in it, right? Like one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Two days ago, two of them were completely burned out. Like I turned on the light, they would not come on. Then yesterday, one of them came back on and one remained out. And then late in the evening, I was sitting in the dining room talking to Dan where his quarantine workstation is. And I looked over and I was like, how those light bulbs get 
back on because they were fucking out. Dan's just like, oh, whatever. Things happen in houses. You always want to go to like the nth degree with it. True. I think it's weird. I think it's I weird. Still, I still don't think that's weird. Just because I've seen that happen in other other houses. Really? Where it's like a light will be out for a little while and then it'll come back on. Something with the filament. No. Yeah. Something with the ghost in the house, man. <laughs> or that. Yeah. It's trying to talk to us. Okay. I thought it's been feeling pretty heavy in our house. We should, get, we should get a Ouija board and talk to it. No. We should get some sage and it's time for like some more salt on the doorways. and What? All of our doorways have salt in them. Are you being serious? Yes. Go for ahead. For real? Yes. Run your hand across any of them. You'll find salt. I've salted all the doorways. <sighs> okay. That's why you feel so good there, my friend. <laughs> okay. Hey, Dan. Yeah. Go smudge yourself. <laughs> okay. Nice. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. So now, are you ready for my alien story? Yes. Okay. Now, I don't think, you know, all the stories start to, you know, blend together in my brain, but I don't think that we have had a fan alien story. Not that I can recall. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think so either. And also, by the way, I, I think just for, listen, I, the reason I shoot these things down, I, I, I do know why. Yeah, because you don't want it to be true. I don't want it to be true because I'm a scaredy cat. Yeah, you're a big baby. Big, okay. big baby. Okay. So. Anyways, um, okay, so this story, uh, yeah, it, I read it like two times, so I was like, no way, no way. So here we go, really, really interesting. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, before I get started, I'd just like to say I have been an avid time sucker for two years and have come to love scared to death. I've always been a creeper of sorts. In fact, one of my earliest memories when I was three, eating pizza with my mom and watching Halloween too. It was literally, I was literally raised on horror movies, scary stories, and all things generally terrifying. So I've really come to find a home with the scared to death community. And I really want to thank you from the bottom <laughs> of my heart. I love that. <laughs> yeah. However, <laughs> uh -huh. when scared to death first launched, I listened to the first episode and was put off immediately for the reason I've chosen to write to you today. I don't really care if the story makes sense. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really care if the story makes it into the podcast or not. Here we are. I just feel like my story needs to be told. I've been holding on to it for seven years, and it continues to be the cause of many hours of lost sleep and anxiety uh. that I have no words to describe. I've spoken about this. I haven't spoken about this to anyone besides my daughter, who also shares this experience with me, as it's taken a very serious toll on the both of us. Also, Lindsay, I'm so sorry I may be, may be putting you through hell with this one. You did. Just know it was, as, it was much, much harder to tell than it will be to read. A little backstory. Given my upbringing, it should come as no surprise that I was obsessed with all things spooky and paranormal growing up, much to the dismay of my grandmother. However, it wasn't until she learned that I was reading books about UFOs that she really lost her collective shit on me. But it wasn't the kind of, you've done something terrible kind of scolding I received. When I asked my grandma why she was so upset with me over something that might not even exist, she shot me a glance that I will never forget and said very plainly, Kel, these things exist, and if you aren't careful, they will come for you. Jeez. Those words stuck with me every time I cracked, op cracked open communion or any other UFO or alien-related book. But I still kept creeping down that rabbit hole. Darren move, I know. <laughs> Trying to decipher the mysteries of the unknown. My grandmother's uh, my grandmother passed away two years after this exchange, so I'll never know what kind of stories she might have had to tell, but I can at least tell you my own now. So fast forward 15 years later. I'm still a weirdo, but now I'm a weirdo that has a four-year-old daughter living in a townhouse in northern Alberta, Canada. 
something to note here is that in the townhouse that I lived in at the time, the bedrooms were both in the basement, attached by a wall that also led to the bathroom and the laundry room. I say this because this little area of the house is vital to the rest of the story. After a Saturday of hanging out together, I took my daughter to her room, read her her bedtime story, and turned out her light for the evening. I had a very uneasy feeling, but I wrote it off due to the stress of work and raising a young girl as a practically single dad. Nevertheless, I double-chucked the locks and went to bed myself. Still feeling a sense of dread and anxiety as I struggled to fall asleep, slumber finally found me maybe an hour or so later, but it didn't last for long. I woke up with a start. My mouth felt incredibly dry, and I could feel that my body had broken out into a cold sweat under my covers. I noted almost immediately that the hallway outside my bedroom window was lit by an intense, bright white light. Not blinding, but enough to clearly light up the entire hall. I thought for a second that maybe my daughter had gotten up in the night to turn on the hallway light, as she would sometimes do if she found herself afraid in the dark. I reasoned that this must be the case and decided I would simply get up and turn it off. But no luck. My body would not move. My limbs felt like they weighed a thousand pounds apiece, and the only thing that I could move were my eyes. That's when I heard the stairs start to creak. Someone was coming down into the basement. I tried once again to move, to call out, but I couldn't move an inch. More creaks. The sounds of more than one set of feet descended down the stairs and I started to panic. There were intruders in my home and here I was, unable to move, unable to get up and defend myself or my daughter. Panic turned to blood-freezing terror when the intruders reached the bottom of the stairs and made their way down the hall. There in the doorway stood three beings, extremely tall, skinny, humanoid creatures that I instantly recognized from countless depictions of gray aliens. I frantically tried once again to move. No luck. That's when the thought hit me. This must be sleep paralysis. It made sense after all. Stress, poor sleep. It was all just terrible hallucinations caused by my half-asleep brain. I stared at these beings who stared back at me with their enormous black eyes. One of the three turned to its right and made its way out of my line of sight straight toward my daughter's room. I told myself again that I was experiencing nothing more than sleep paralysis and hallucinations. I should go back to sleep and it would all be over. That's the last thing I could remember until the following morning. I awoke early and sat up, stretched and headed to the bathroom. As I walked in, I saw my daughter sitting on her floor with her back to me, papers and crayons all over the floor as she scribbled some new masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I smiled, the imaginary horrors of last night quickly fading from my conscious thoughts as I checked on my daughter. Morning, kiddo, I said to her. What you drawing over there? Oh, the funny men, she simply replied. Funny men, I asked. I gotta hear about these guys. What are they like? Oh, they came into my room last night, my daughter said cheerfully. They looked funny, and they said funny things. That's why I call them the funny men. I felt a trickle of ice crawl down my spine, but I brushed it off. This was a four-year-old with an already vibrant imagination. I thought pushing the terrible images of my waking nightmares from my mind once again. I swallowed hard and stepped forward into the doorway of my daughter's room. What kind of funny things did they tell you? I asked, curious as to what kind of humor these imaginary men would put upon my daughter. The response I got was not what I had expected, and one that caused that trickle of terror that crawled down my spine to become an icy waterfall. They said they came from space, from a place where they have two sons. They came here because you and I are special, Daddy, and they want to know why. I froze. 
I knew what I wanted to ask her next, but I also knew what I would discover and what I would ultimately have to come to terms with. Every cell in my body screamed for me not to, but as always is my way, my curiosity went out. Can I see your picture? I asked. My daughter swung around and held triumphantly above her head the portrait that she had been working on. It was of a creature with a large head, skinny limbs, and two enormous black eyes. It wasn't long after that that I suffered a complete emotional and psychological breakdown. The guilt of feeling like I'd brought this on and the terror that these things could come back at any time and just take us took an already stressed father of one and pushed him over the edge. However, during my recovery, I told no one of the funny men. Not my doctors, not my daughter's mother, not my parents. No one. It's bad enough as a man to admit that the pressures of parenthood and adulthood beat you down, but it is another shame entirely to say you are convinced that you and your daughter had been taken by beings from another world. Since that time, I've rationalized that it must have been a shared nightmare or a collective hallucination. But there's always that fear that keeps me up at night, that one day the funny men might come back for me or my daughter, and I am completely and utterly powerless to stop that from happening. God damn, this was harder to write than I thought it would be. I apologize once again, Lindsay, if you end up reading this. Thanks, everyone, over at Scared to Death. Keep doing what you're doing. Wouldn't change a thing. Three out of five stars. <laughs> now, and just really quick, so don't forget, the three out of five stars uh, for like a new horror <laughs> lister that comes from Time Suck. It comes oh. from an, uh, an old reference on there. And I love how far it's gotten like everything that uh, I'm involved in creatively. Like if you look online, there's so many three out of five star ratings. Wouldn't And it's like, love it, wouldn't change a thing three out of five. And then there'll be the occasional other person who's new. Like, what the hell's going on with these reviews? These feel fake. Like, I, it's, it's so funny to me. But anyway, that, yeah, that is, uh, that's a crazy story. That has that story, you know. I've that's had, your nightmare. That's your nightmare is to like have beans show up in the house. Mm-hmm. And I... You know, prep the stories a couple weeks in advance, just yeah. right for instances like this when we get sick, when we can't work the same way. Yeah. And uh, I have been sitting on this for like three weeks and it has been fucking me up. That's why I like have the nightlight on in our bedroom. I have this new like sleep yeah. thing that does a um, a sunrise simulation because it's so dark here and it has a nightlight feature. I know. And I leave it on and Dan's been like, hey, can you turn it off? I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell you. I've been so freaked. The aliens thing, I'm different than. Uh, there was no name given to that, right? His name is Kel. Oh, Kel, that's right. Yeah. Kel from yeah, Alberta, which is a beautiful province. Um, but I've never been. And you can't go to Canada, so. <laughs> that's a whole other story. When I used to go to Canada, I'll go back there again someday. I'll be allowed back. Uh, but yeah, Banff, all that stuff. And uh, Anyway. Anyways. Um, yes, focusing. Uh, <laughs> the, the alien thing like that you and Kel are like uh, afraid of, I'm torn because, yeah, part, I mean, it would be so invasive. To have beans that you didn't fucking invite yeah. be in your house and be, whatever, freeze you, whatever. But also definitive proof of life. You're witnessing, eyewitnessing definitive proof of life on uh, outside of life here on Earth, which would be so exciting. Not nec- Part of me really wants to see aliens to have them be in our house. Dude, it's not like they come and like hold your hand and take you on a walk through like, you know, some beautiful village. with. Fl- they're fucking experimenting on you. That's why I'm afraid of them. I'm not afraid that there's life on other planets. There yeah. probably is. I think so. Wh- whether it's some form of human life or, you know, some derivative thereof to plants. Like, what they're, if you get, what but, if you- but they're not coming to be like friends. They're- you don't know that. Well, then how come no one's talking about like, oh, yeah, the aliens came and got me and we chatted and it was super fun and I can't wait to go back. No one fucking ever says that. It's always like, 
it was weird. They abducted me. There were weird experiments. I've got marks on my body now. It's never good. Never. You find me uh, a good one and I'll true. and I'll buy into it. I feel like there's gotta be some good ones out there, but I don't I don't know them offhand. Mm. Well, it's because they don't exist. The only one that I can even maybe possibly think was that guy. Also, I think in Canada, it was like a young guy and he went to a bar one night and kind of like said goodbye yeah, to his friends. Yeah, we told that story early on and then he disappeared Yeah, and he was excited to go uh, out there. And out of yeah. He was uh, from the Vancouver area of yes. British Columbia. Yeah. Yes. So that's the one outlier in all of these stories that's been like, eh, maybe, yeah. maybe he was pumped. Also, maybe he was not stable because like who really chooses to go to a place that you know you're never coming back from? He didn't have kids or anything, though. So? Or a relationship, you know, like a, yeah, his parents, parents, but, he's parents. A, but he's a grown man. So? That doesn't make it suddenly okay. If I, I, I would fucking go off in space if I didn't have, like, kids or you. It's like, why not? So peace out, Grandma, Grandpa. Well, you don't feel sad I'll that they would miss you? Something. If I, listen, I would, yeah, sure, I'd miss my grandparents. But if I had the chance to go to, like, another fucking world that, was, that I thought was going to be cool... But you're going by yourself. It's not like you're going with somebody, you're going to be able to experience it and then come back to Earth and share what you find. You're just stuck in this other world. Uh, Ask if they take Grandma Betty with me. (laughs) I love that you chose Grandma Betty. (laughs) She's my favorite. Well, she's my only grandma now. But even when my other grandmas were alive, she was my favorite grandma. Well, she is great. Mm -hmm. She's super fun. I would, take grandma, I would take Grandma Betty with me to space. She lets you play in cemeteries. Which, by the way, yep. we have gotten multiple emails about like, oh yeah, I played in a cemetery as a kid. Ah, that's awesome. Somebody sent an email that said, um, oh shoot, I we don't do updates. I should tell you um, that like actually playing in cemeteries was a very normal thing like in, in many like decades gone by because people would be traveling like across countries or they would like, you know, come and find their cemetery where they're, f- I'm not getting this right. My brain is too like, like a fucking. park. Like if you're traveling and then you need to let the kids run around and you can't find a park, you take them to the cemetery. Basically. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Or like, you know, if you lived in town and you went to the cemetery and you were like there caretaking, you would just spend the whole day there. I still love cemeteries. It's like a cool I connection love cemeteries, to the past. I don't want to have a fucking picnic there. I would still. I don't know. It somehow feels rude. <laughs> they don't care. Maybe they do. You don't know. They, they probably want the company. Maybe some fucking crumbs fall. I was just going to say they fall, want some crumbs. Fall on the ground and they get snack on something besides dirt. I don't think it works like that. Maybe. Oh my God. Uh, never mind. I was just going to tell you this like crazy story. I was talking to a friend of mine. They're having her sister's body exhumed. No way. Yeah. Why? I, it's just so fascinating. Um, murder she, suspect? Like, no, no, no. It was like, really sad. She died very young of cancer. Um, she was in the military. Yeah. And they, at the time of her death, they weren't able to get her body into Arlington. And now they can. Uh, but she was just telling me like all the details of okay. like how hard it is. And, and then we were both like, and also just fucking weird fucking gross like to disrupt the dead just feels so invasive i watched i watched that show yellowstone you know that yeah i know i don't watch it and there's a scene where one of the characters has their mom exhumed no. so they can like um say hello and it's like the corpse has been buried for a long time but it was really like preserved with a lot of formaldehyde or whatever what and they, seriously and then they kind of like every once in a while they bring up the body and talk to him that is not real you're full of it <laughs> no i'm not it's in this it's season three that is so dumb. I don't know if it's real. It's in the show. I just thought it was interesting. I don't think it's interesting. I think it's stupid. I think you're stupid. <laughs> How dare you? Why would you shit on my show like that? Well, I didn't shit on your show. I just said that, that element of your show is well, really dumb. I didn't care for it. Well, listen. <laughs> you're Joe laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm proud of us for getting through this. We did. We did. Uh, so I didn't feel too foggy. Hopefully you didn't come across too foggy. 
Um, you have you have uh, shout outs. And, I do. And I do. I yeah. closed my book because I didn't like the alien story, so I yeah. just wanted to get away from it. Um, would you like to start with the Annabelle spoops? Yes. Okay. Am I starting? I'm, go ahead. Oh, okay. no, you can start. You can no, you start. Can go right ahead, Dan. Okay. Uh, I want to <laughs> uh, thank some uh, Annabelles for supporting the show. I want to thank uh, uh, Heather uh, or Lindsay Rustin. Um, it, it, she knows, Lindsay knows that I mess her, I've messed her name up so many times. I always called her Heather. I confused her as Heather. She's a, been a fan of Time Suck and Stand Up for a while. She's awesome down there in Florida. So I just li- love that. Like, L- Lindsay Heather, sorry I've messed up your name up so many times in the past, and I still don't know how to pronounce Rustin. <laughs> I always want to say like something not Rustin, but also I just love that when she emailed me, uh-huh. I was like, Heather, really? Dan's ex-wife's name? And she was like, yep, every time. I'm like, cool, cool. I see what's going on here. No, you know who it was? It's um, with uh, Heather fan out in uh, the L.A. area. I, 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 oh. I, I bet the two of them are in the same time. And I, Pootie and Juju? Yeah, yeah. I flipped their names. I thought maybe it was Heather Rylander. No. You got a lot of know. Heathers in your life. A lot of Heathers. Uh, Brandy Terry. Thank you. Uh, Abigail Schluter. Oh, man. I hope I got your name right. I'm giving Dan all the hard last names. Dakota Riggs. That's an easy one. Dakota. Nailed it. Riggs. Got it. Uh, thank you to Spencer Perez. Nailed it. Perez. Spencer. Got those. Logan Evans. Look at this. I'm getting good. Thank you're you, on, Logan. You're on a roll. Uh, Misha. Oh, boy. Aguirre or Aguirre? Uh, thank you. Anna Blake? Bake. Anna Baki. <laughs> Anna Bakey. Anna, Anna Bukaki. This is great. <laughs> no, Anna Bakey. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Lucy, you didn't even catch the Bukaki. Uh, I, oh, I caught it. I was ignoring it because I thought it was rude. <laughs> thank you, Lucy uh, Ochoa. Uh, and thank Louise? you. Louise? No, you wrote it down wrong. You wrote L U Z I. Louise. That's not how fucking Louise is spelled. That's how some people spell it. Louise is spelled L-U-I-Z. That's what you just said. No. L-U-Z-I. Oh. Luzi. Hey, I just copied it over from Patreon. Oh. All right. Uh, And thank you to Mark. (laughs) No last name. Guys, I'm sorry. Okay. Clearly the fog is setting in here. Uh, Okay. I would like to say thank you to my Annabelles. Okay. Okay. Uh, Leslie Concavs. Jeremy Sells. Hannah Martinez, Elizabeth Shackley Deo, Kayla and Christopher Dalton. Also, happy anniversary to you two out in Nashville. We've met them many times. Chloe Patterson, James Jensen, Holly Seltzer, Paul Schemauer, and Matthew Dudley. I, I don't even know what Schemauer looks like on paper, but I know you fucked it up. Wow. <laughs> that is rude. There's no Schemauers in the world. Schemauer, I said. Okay. Okay. Man, rough crowd. <laughs> Uh, also, I know that we're trying to keep this, the, the additional spoopy shout outs to five. Uh, before we agreed on that system, I had a few people that I promised ones to. So I have seven today. Okay. Everyone hold your horses. Happy birthday to Leticia. I'm sorry, Leticia from Renee. Happy birthday to Amy from your little croissant, Regina. That one killed me. Happy birthday and belated <laughs> anniversary to Troy from Alex. Happy birthday to Joseph from your mom, Tigra. Congrats on your marriage, Ryan and Jacob. A little family shout out to Lubia, Jason, Moises, and Silas. A whole family that watches together, like Aww. two kids, mom, dad, so sweet. And one extra special spoopy shout out. This couple, this is how they want to announce their pregnancy. Uh, Eliz and Chris, congrats on your pregnancy. And... I hope that you're 16 days late and you give birth on Dan's birthday. Then just name the baby Aww. Dan. It'd be perfect. <laughs> or a cooler name than Dan. I don't know. I like Dan. Okay. That's I, nice. I always feel like it's boring, but okay. Uh, and that's all for today. That's that it. That was fun. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. 
Thank you to Logan and Kate Keith. We wish them well. Hopefully, they'll be feeling better soon. Uh, thanks to them for the social media and badmagicmerch.com designs. Producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. She's not here, so she's feeling great. Good for her. Joe Paisley and Zach Flannery for producing, directing, custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe, please, to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more content at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with, uh, you know, I think... Uh, like 9,000 roughly. It's got to be more uh, than that because last week you said 9,000. Yeah. So I think it's probably close to 10 now. Maybe. Wh- Horror-loving members. I didn't. I, I should have checked before I, I did. Uh, and thank you to Liz Hernandez for moderating that group. Enjoy your nightmares. Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle's will ship those books out very soon. We are working on them. Hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death.